0: Hey, welcome to Rollercoaster of Thought, the only podcast with no guests this week. Uh, we're gonna uh, do something a little different. And uh, by something a little different, I mean I'm just gonna talk for a bit. This'll probably be shorter as well. Uh, yeah. Watched an interesting video recently. Um, Probably kind of important. So Avi Yemeni, who is a um, like a Jewish right-wing activist, mostly just talking about strict border control. Uh, he was interviewed on the Jim Jeffries... Ja- His views aren't important for this, but, you know, you can look him up afterwards if you want. Uh, he was on the Jim Jeffries show. They they recorded an interview with him. They went, hey, come on, uh, we'll do an interview. Jim Jeffries will inf- interview you for his news comedy show. And so this guy RV was like, okay, but one, I don't want to be put next to Nazis because I don't want, you know, you can do a lot to an interview by changing the context. And two, he didn't want it cut up so you had different responses to different questions. Fairly smart stuff, like pretty reasonable (laughs) request. Request. Uh, but Jim, old Jimmy boy, Jim Jones, Jimmy Jeff's Jim Jones is a different guy. Jim Jeffries or oh, more reasonably his interview team, though, uh I think there was an attempt to get him to say some ridiculous stuff uh in the interview. They cut it up to make him look like a lunatic. Basically. So like uh there's a question in the interview with Jim Jeffries is like, uh but don't you think uh like, aren't there white people? Do white people do anything wrong? Uh, and the the cut shows Avi giving this, like, incredulous look, you know, like, oh, what the hell are you talking about, you lunatic? Uh, but Avi was smart. He put his phone in a little secret spot and recorded the whole interview. And if you look at his actual response, he's like, oh, yeah, of course, idiot. Because, uh, like, you know, obviously. So, Jim edited the whole interview, basically, to make this guy look like a lunatic, or like some fringe sociopath neo-Nazi, but the guy actually recorded the whole thing. Uh, and, And people wonder why people distrust the media. It's almost as if most media organizations have an agenda. And the idea that their opposition could be anything but unreasonable monsters terrifies them. It's absurd. And not only that, they try to put them in context of the Christchurch shooting, which... uh, The recording was done a month before that happened. So... And they do mention that. But there's still the... The attempt, like Jim Jeffrey goes, this kind of rhetoric is what caused that shooting. As if, like, I don't know, perfectly sane people could be talked into doing that. You have to be a bit unhinged to just, you know, gun a bunch of people down. Anyway, so, uh, that's a bit serious to start off with. My point is. I hate that comedians have these news shows because, like, it's all right if they're just mocking everything because then it's just, you know, wild and you get the opportunity to look at the news in a way that the news isn't allowed to, which is just like, look at how stupid everything that's going on is. But this is... Recent comedy news, news comedy, has been this weird agenda pushing. It's always like... They always have an angle... I don't know. Just to me, the the view pushing is antithetical to comedy. Because the point of comedy is anybody can laugh. Anybody can listen to it and go, hey, that's funny. Right? Like, the opportunity to even laugh at yourself. But, uh, the news comedy approach is very, hey, if you agree with us, this is hilarious, otherwise you're going to just get mad, because it's nothing but misrepresenting the opposition non-stop. Yeah, it's, yeah. Comedy's in a weird state at the moment. A lot of comedians, the the best comedians now at the moment are the ones who are um, making jokes at the expense of the potentially offended. Because most, most people don't get upset that often. Like, there might be a joke that crosses the line for them and they go, oh, I didn't like that. But, you know, like, they keep listening. I, I go into Comedy Cubs all the time and I hear nonce. Like, there are some ridiculous jokes that people make. Uh, trying to, you know, things that I like, go, like, yeah, that's stupid. But, you know, you stick around because chances are five minute, like, a minute later. They tell a joke you like, or you know the next comedian you like more. Uh, I don't know. Just this. So, like all these really good comedians, like Sam Hyde, is great at this: is making jokes at the potentially offended by putting two causes of them like at odds with each other. So, uh, like there's the the Toss It Project. Toss It Project's a great sketch. Go look it up and watch it instead of listening to me describe it. But, uh, basically it's an anti-bullying campaign that says, look, just write all the mean, hurtful things people say about you onto a paper cup and just toss it. And it's it's showing all these people littering and like, you know, there's like a fat lady there and she's writing like chub lord or whatever on it. Uh, uh, the one I remember the most is an Asian kid and he writes rice calculator on the paper cup and throws it into the gutter and drifts on but it's just, it's putting those two issues together and they they bring weird things out of each other is very funny. I probably sound like a lunatic because this is... My point being, I don't know, comedy's in a very weird state because there's a lot of, there's a vocal minority of people and they are a minority because I'd like, I've said some outrageous Crap on stage, and I'll probably say more outrageous things because sometimes that's funny. Uh, And not a single person has come up to me and gone, Oh, that's not okay. Some people are going, What was it? There's a, I forget his name. There's another, uh, Jason, Jason White? Is it Jason White? Give me a second. I got to check because there's another guy in Perth uh, who actually has like a full hour of stand-up, so he's a he's a level above me in a sense. Uh, but he he was emceeing a gig I was at, uh, and he called my five minutes uh, the most white privilege set from a Ellen DeGeneres lookalike, which. I thought it was a pretty funny description. No, he he, he liked it. Because that sounds negative, the white privilege thing. Jason Wood. Jason Wood, not Jason White, but he's 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 ethnic, so his endorsement uh, means I'm not racist. <laughs> uh, excuse me, I'm not racist. I have a black friend. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know. People get a little too stressed about racism. It's like... Most people's hearts are in the right place, even if they say something real stupid. Uh yeah. As I, I like some of the things I say that are kind of wild about race is more at the expense of people who get upset by it. I had a joke about dog. I had a joke about dog kicking. Anyway, oh, let's talk about more news. Or well, not more news, this is past news. I watched a very interesting video uh, by Count Dankula. Uh if you don't know who Count Dankula is, he um he rose to popularity on the internet because he had this adorable little punk, and his girlfriend loved it to bits and he's like thought it was the cutest thing ever, and he's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna teach it the most uncute thing I can think of. I'm gonna make it a Nazi. And so he has this whole video of uh like teaching his dog to be a Nazi. It's it's you know like a a dumb joke. In poor taste maybe. I thought it was hilarious, but it's you know I could understand someone being upset by a dog doing a Nazi salute. But he actually got arrested for it. And nearly fined and, and fined and nearly put in jail. Like complete insanity. Because he, he made a joke that made people uncomfortable. Anyway, that's that's not what I'm going to talk about. I'm actually going to talk about his content. Because a very interesting video about roof Koreans. So, uh, chances are you've seen that clip of... Uh, I think it's Rodney King or whatever his name is. The, the guy got the crap beaten out of him by like a bunch of LA cops. And... That that was messed up. Even if he was like resisting arrest, that's overkill. But that's that's a problem with American police as well. There's an argument to be made that that's not racism. That's like a bad police training. But we're not going to make that here. It probably was a bit of racism, but that resulted in the L.A. riots, which you know, bunch bunch of angry African Americans burning it all down. Uh And one of the group of the people most... A group of people most affected. Korean store owners in Koreatown. You know, they were fairly big businessmen. And, you know, all the looting and stuff. Particularly uh, gangs taking advantage of the riots and looting. Would, you know... Come and destroy these Korean stores and take all the stuff. Uh, And part of it did escalate because... This... This woman who owned a store uh, thought a little girl, a little black girl was shoplifting and shot her, which was over the top. Right? Like, this is a messed up situation completely. But all these Korean store owners are getting, like, targeted. So, a bunch of Korean immigrants who had their Korean mandatory military service. So basically all of the military trained went, Alright, if these guys are going to attack our stores, we're going to form a militia. And they got a bunch of Koreans on the rooftops and stuff with guns that fire a warning shot when people came too close. It's wild. But it it all kind of came to a head because these gang members started doing drive-bys and they're like, okay, we gotta start we're gonna get start shooting back because otherwise these people are just gonna steamroll us, and it leads to this insane video of this one Korean guy who's like, "My boss called me, and it's like, there's a gunfight down at the store. You gotta, you gotta come in. There's a gunfight, and the police were there, but when the gunfighting started, they had left because the police stretched thin in the LA th- riots." Um. Watch RoboCop if you want to know. <laughs> Watch RoboCop if you want to know about the LA riots. I mean, it is influenced by the LA riots, or the Detroit riots, more really accurately, with the police being spread thin by, like, just rampant crime and rioting. Justified, maybe, but still messed up. A lot of blank story owners in the LA riots also, like, having a hard time. There's a really brutal video of this black store owner screaming what this ain't right what you do like he's screech like you can hear it in his voice that he's like just completely broken it's like i'm from the ghetto like you and you're burning this all down stop it this ain't right so like just overall a messed up situation is my point anyway so this korean guy he comes in because his boss rang him and said there's a gunfight And at least this amazing video of this Korean guy, bullets whizzing past him, just lifting up, bam, 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 walking through the street, shooting at these guys. It's like, he's like, he is like Robocop, because he's just unfazed by all this gunfire around him, just nerves of steel. Insane. And... Like, you you got to watch the video, because then you see the footage and you get, like, a better description of what's going on, but... Far out. It's... Like... I don't know, complain about Guns in America all you want, but it's moments like that where surely people are, like, thankful (laughs) that they can protect themselves from insane circumstances like that. Oh, gun debate in America is messed up. It's like, ah, uh, tragedy happens. Uh, the opposition to gun leaps on the tragedy. and blah, 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 blah. It's a very messy political debate. Uh, anyway, we really dived into politics there at the beginning. I was going to workshop bits. I was going to workshop some bits because things that sound good in my head... I say them out louder than I realise... Either they're insane or they're brilliant. So we'll... we'll oh, I didn't mark that one properly. We're going to get into my... My notes here. or my... or my, like, half-baked bits... That I think of just before I uh, go to bed. Alright, this one's... This one I think is funny. Um, I don't think anybody talks about... How intense urinals must have been in Nazi Germany. Like, already it's a game of, like, hide your dick in regular urinals. You know, you like, you don't need two hands to piss, is what I'm saying. And yet everyone's there with two hands just, like, trying to look up and whatever. But you have to look down, because you you flippin' pelvic floor doesn't let you piss unless you do. So it's this whole... Whole rigmarole of having to stand there awkwardly with other dudes with their dongs out. And add to that the tension of an SS officer next to you checking if you're circumcised. Like, hmm, good, you still have your foreskin. <sighs> <laughs> like, intense. Because there were probably a few Jewish dudes who got away with, like, hiding in Germany just as citizens. But imagine that every time you go to the public bathroom, you're there just like... "Ah! If they spot me... If they spot my Abrahamic covenant, I'm screwed. Yeah, I think that one works. I think that's funny. Maybe you could use a little work. Have a better punchline. If you got suggestions for punchlines, email in. Because some of you are smarter than me, probably. Some, some of the six of you. I think there's only six. I have only six real viewers. We're going to look. Anchor.fm. Get my stats. We're going to have a stats breakdown. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> I wrote this down. I don't know how to turn it into a joke, but it was very funny. One of my friends... Uh, for whatever reason, we were talking and he was like, uh, what language is ching-chong-ching-chong? Like, like, like he thought it, like, responded to a specific Asian language. It was bizarre, because I'd never thought of that either. Like, where does ching-chong-ching-chong come from? Is it just, is it just sounds? Or is is there a specific language that someone got those sounds from or something? Does it mean something in any of those languages? Probably not, but... It was a bizarre thought that I don't think any sane person would ever consider. Or any, any person who's not tired, at least. So it was very funny. Uh, anyway, i got nine. I've got an audience of nine. Nine people. So so this is for all nine of you here. Uh, I've been trying to do a joke about keto. So keto, keto, low carb, high fat. It's like a cult. It's instead of loving some glorious leader or some golden tablets or whatever, we just hate carbs. We're a hate cult. We're a hate group. We're gonna come into your bread stores kicking the door. You got freaking carbs in here? We're gonna shoot your... (laughs) The first keto shooter will be intense. Coming to Baker's Delight unloading an AK. (laughs) This has been a very shooting themed episode. Where my shooters at? This episode is gonna be called Where My Shooters At? If it's not called that, send your angry emails in. Um. Ah. This is a thing that's upset. Speaking of shootings. uh, I'm going to do a shooting on Apple because they changed the, the gun emoji to a water gun. Like they took away all the inherent rage of the gun emoji. Right, the gun emoji is visceral. You, you do the gun emoji pointing at the head of the, the squiggly line emoji. You'd be like, this is how this day is making me feel. But... No, we can't for a second express any form of rage or violence. It's not as if violence is inherent to being human. And we'll never ever escape it, no matter what kind of laws you put in place. Nah. We're not flawed, sinful people filled with like. I I don't get people who think you can just go through life entirely without ever experiencing violence. Like like somehow we can shield violence from us, and yeah, I don't know. It seems bizarre. We enjoy it too much. It's a part of us, no matter what. Um, but yeah it I'm annoyed at the whole gun emoji thing, because it's just taken away particularly for men, a way to express our emotions. How are we meant to say we want to kill ourselves every second of the day? <coughs> I'm kidding, of course, I don't want to kill myself. I just want to die. I would rather not do it myself. <laughs> that's bizarre Uh, why don't I just write like a weird racist review of crazy rich Asians like why is everyone so tired they're squinting the whole time like as if somebody could see crazy rich Asians and not know what Asian people are just like they're all squinting all the time is the sun in their eyes in every shot I don't know I don't know how to turn that into a joke that might work for, like, a TV show or something, but I don't write TV shows. Maybe I should. But probably not. I'm not very good at writing, as as you can tell from my jokes. Um. <laughs> oh, I just reread this bit of, um. Uh, Hey, guys, you want to hear some stoner jokes? You want to hear... Uh, I'll, I'll do the whole bit. Uh, you want to hear some stoner jokes? You want to hear some stoner j- humor? Yeah? Yeah? Oh, no, you're a big stoners here. Uh, don't you just love it when you're sitting at home, the clock on the wall is like, it's, it's, it's 419, it's about to take over, and you, your buddy comes to the door and he's like, Hey, I got the Mary... I got Mary Jane... And you're like, yeah, that weed. Let's drag that whore to the center of town. How dare, she, how dare she not wear her head covering? And you just start picking up the biggest rocks you can find in the center of town. Yeah. How good is it to be a stoner in Syria? <laughs> uh, that maybe works better as a sketch or something, just set up like a classic stoner setup, and then a hard cut to them tossing rocks at a woman. Maybe that works better. Maybe I should make sketches, but I don't know how to film, or act, or I could probably act. Acting's just like being alive, uh, except you're pretending to be someone else. Uh, yeah, I tried to turn carbon-neutral suicide holiday into a joke, but I don't know. I th- I think I've got to start doing, like, story-type things so I can build up these weird ideas that I have, because maybe, just maybe, Carbon Neutral Suicide Holiday would work if I just talked about it, instead of trying to turn it into a joke with a punchline. Because you... Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but some stand-up comedians never have punchlines. Like Mike Babiglia never hits a punchline. He just kinda keeps rambling on with his story, but he has little funny moments. Like when he flipping threw himself out a window. Uh it's good. What the whoop. Uh Uh, I should pull this joke out again, because it actually worked pretty well, of uh, Porsches coming out with the all-electric 911, electric plane, electric terrorists, all you can hear are the screams. Ah! Uh. <laughs> if you think that's bad, I won't tell you about the Volkswagen Holocaust. They made cars for Hitler, they might do it again. So that bit works, I think. Because electric cars are quite quiet. Um, uh, I'll tell you about my strategy for solving Hitler because everybody goes I'm going to go back in time Get, I'm going to kill Hitler first of all most of the people I talk to are Australian how are you going to get a gun to shoot him are you going to stab Hitler how do you know he's not going to shoot you before you get within range like Hitler survived World War 1 he has at least some combat experience But I think I could solve it non violently. I think I could go back in time and stop Hitler the way Gandhi would have wanted. Uh, (laughs) Because you can't see me through the podcast, but I am a blonde haired, blue eyed Aryan male. So I, and I'm not exactly the peak of human physical conditioning. So I reckon if I just go back in time and go, hey, Hitler, I'm a part of your master race. And then like flash him completely nude. He'll go, never mind. I was crazy. Master race. What was I thinking? Insane. This was stupid. I'm going to go back to painting postcards. And then the whole army will just pack up and go home. I, I, like, the only other problem will be all the other true believer guys, you know, like the guys who actually wrote the philosophy behind it, but, you know, I think that would work. Like, I'm not great to look at nude. Nobody can vouch for that, so maybe I am good to look at nude, maybe if you put me in an art gallery next to the statue of David, they'll go like, David, get out of the way, this is the new peak of humanity. Uh, (laughs) yeah, so talk about what I've been, what I've been reading, uh, or what I've been doing. I've been playing Earthbound. Earthbound's pretty good. You hear a lot of people talk about Earthbound on the internet. It's like the, the, it's the weird niche thing that's not niche because every, every weird tangentially video games person loves Earthbound or at least sings its praises to some degree. Uh, and, yeah, all I'd heard about the game is it's weird. So I was very surprised when it was also, like, a fairly decent game as well. Because the, the presentation, the humor, the writing, fantastic. It's very silly, it's very weird. You're getting this adult world filtered through a child. So, like, you come across a cult, and for what, like, um, It's based on, like, a Japanese cult. They all wear blue hoods, and they did chemical weapons for a bit. Uh, yeah, because I'd seen a video about it. But they just... They're just all like, I love the colour blue. I'm just really into blue. Because that's all the kid can figure out. And other stuff like that. Um, and then, like, you know... You keep coming across all these weird adult things, like the police brutality. The police, like, bring you in and all beat the crap out of you. Uh... But it's, again, it's all filtered through the very whimsical presentation and writing. And then you get those weird surreal moments where, like, um... Hours into the game, like... Uh, I hadn't got my fourth party member yet. I still haven't. Pooh, Pooh's his name. Ah. Uh, and... I got a phone call in the game and it was just someone asking, like, hey you, yeah you with the controller, what's your name? Like, the game asked for my name, well in, like, good hours in, yeah, but the the combat's fun as well, because it's just, it's fairly typical RPG stuff in the sense that, you know, you can either do a melee, like, do a normal attack, do a defend. Or do a spell which costs, which costs magic points. In this case, it's psychic power, so it uses psi points. Uh, and your main character's like this all rounder, so he's got like heal, he's got the heals, he's got some attacks, he's decent with melee. He's like, you know, he can kind of do a bit of everything. Uh, then you get Paula, who is a pure psychic. So she has a lot of psi points and a lot of options for spells. Plus, if you are out of psi points or if you just want to gamble, she has the ability to pray, which will grant like a random spell effect. It There's a chance of it damaging you, but more often than not, it'll give you a little heal or hurt the enemy a lot or whatever. It can even be something the enemy's weak to. Uh, and then you've got... I think it's toby is his name, and he's just a he's just a regular smart kid, so he has he gets a bunch of reusable items in his inventory that uh do all sorts of things like stun the enemy and all that so he has like crowd control stuff as well as the ability to analyze the enemy and see what they're weak to and stuff like that, allowing you to like more effectively use your points uh but the, the fun thing about it is all the health and the psi points are on these tickers so they look they look like they're on old school like flip clocks you know the ones that mechanically flick the numbers down so uh those actually take time to tick down when you take damage and when you heal and stuff like that so it is possible For a death blow to be dealt with a character. And if you play the game fast enough. And heal them before they die. They'll be healed up. As if they were at zero hit points. So you. You can like. Last minute recover something. If a enemy manages to get a big crit. So it encourages you. To keep your. Keep your party members relatively healthy. But if they get dealt this random critical blow that takes them out in one hit, to quickly recover that and mash through, which means you're more likely to make mistakes as well. So it becomes a little bit of precision in the middle of an RPG game. But other than that, it's it's fairly standard, like, turn-based. Presentation is quite nice, because unlike uh, other games, which put, like, kind of a generic background... Uh, In the sense that, like, you know, if you're in the sewers, you get the sewer background, blah, 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 blah. Or, like, Pokemon, where it's just an abstract colour. In this, it's, like, really psych... In Earthbound, it's, like, psychedelic colours and all that shifting around. Yeah. The reason the theme for the show was an Earthbound song is because I... It it was between starting, like, getting through playing Earthbound and also watching a lot of Million Dollar Extreme. Uh, So Sam Hyde and all that, who use Earthbound a lot. Because it, it gives a nice balance of whimsical and unsettling. The whole soundtrack. Because, like, there was something quite nice. They got, like, a little bit of, like, uh, the Super Nintendo equivalent of, like, a trumpet sound with a little bit of a drums going on and stuff. Like a, And then you get, like, really weird tracks that kind of send you a bit off-kilter. And then ones that are just kind of like a passive buzz. It it's very well made aesthetically, is what I'll say. Not revolutionary in terms of mechanics, but presentation, it's good. Uh, and it's, it's rare for a game that is so ambitious story-wise to be good gameplay-wise. Because, <laughs> you know, you get something like Gone Home, which was you know, very pretentious about its story. But there was no gameplay because it was just walking around a 3d environment and then occasionally lesbians <laughs> uh, and then there are other games which do more generic gameplay like um spec ops the line spec ops the line very generic shooter but it's a shooter about shooters so it becomes very interesting and yeah, then, like, actually displays war as it is, with its traumatic aspects and the stuff that's not very kosher, Geneva Convention-wise. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'm actually playing another RPG at the moment. I'm playing two, because I'm an idiot. Battle Chases Night War. Now, Battle Chases was this comic from the 90s. Very nice art, a little bit of an anime influence in the look, but with... Like a very also Dungeons and Dragonsy kind of influence as well. It's got that like fine line between magic and technology, where it's just just a little bit of steampunky technology. Magic punk, magic punk is the correct term. Where it's like you know a fantasy world with magic technology. Uh, and you know the comic was very fun. It had a very interesting cast because you had. You know, your typical edgy, lone swordsman. But then he's being paired up with protecting a little girl with her father's magic gauntlets, which give her, like, super strength and super durability. Like, they make her a complete powerhouse. She's she's like the get-out-of-jail-free card. Uh, and then there's, like, a big robot who has healing. Who, like, despite being this big, massive... Chunky robot. He's not necessarily all about smacking stuff around. He's also got the ability to heal. Uh, and then there's Red Monica, which is like a, uh, a cheeky Red Sonia rip off of you know, sexy thief girl, who's kind of ambivalent to the main cast, but often finds herself cast in with them. You know, t- typical typical uh, rogue stuff where she's not really part of the main team, but she's often involved anyway. Uh, and then Nolan, the wizard, who's like just a cranky old man wizard. Uh, but like, he's, he's still got like a bit of spunk in him and the whole thing's got, the whole comic had like a little bit of energy to it where it wasn't just very typical by the books, um, fantasy, which for a comic, you don't necessarily want by the book. You want something that's visually interesting and it's got a little bit more pop and energy to it. but. That got cancelled before its time. So it went like nine issues. It had a very intermittent release schedule and stuff. And then it, it, it just ended after the setup story arc, which was all right. But it was very clear that he had written this team to have a series of like adventures, right? So you have he written a very good fantasy team for doing the Dungeons and Dragons things of have an adventure, a little bit of downtime, another, another adventure that's a bit unrelated. and You know, they fit very nicely into roles together and got a good dynamic. Which is where Battle Chases Night War comes in, where it gives us another adventure. And it shows, hey, if this comic had gone a few more issues, it probably could have propelled into, like, you know, something of a staple. Because it was, you know, it had the art, it had decent enough writing, but the putting it into a game and giving them this little adventure that's off the beaten path, instead of the setup storyline that you got, went like, hey, this comic probably could have lasted a while and had some good storyline, could have been handed off to different writers, because uh, basically the characters get. Um, The airship gets crashed on this little island and it turns out there's more going on on the island than they think. Because the bandits that shot them down are actually up to some, like, necromantic nonsense. Which results in the whole party getting dragged into an adventure and you having to crawl through dungeons and stuff like that. And it just works. And you can see how this would have been a comic book storyline. Because you would have had them... You know, have the airship crash and the setup, get to the main hub town of the game, which is Harm's Way, which is a very good name for a town in a very hostile little island. Uh And then, you know, had them go off into the little dungeons and you would have had enough for like, you know, for someone who only jumped in for four, like an issue or two to get a little taste of a decent adventure without having to commit to the whole comic. But the mechanics are very fun as well, because it, it's a very modern RPG in the sense that it does think a little bit more about giving you a lot of strategic options. So, for one, every character has more or less two roles that they could fill. For example, uh, Red Moniker could be a assassin character who you use to just utterly destroy... Uh, one person before they even have a chance to do anything, because she can do a lot of damage to a single target, or she could be constantly throwing bombs and putting individual status effects on people to make it easier for everyone else to do damage. So she flips between being a she. You can decide by allocating her points different ways whether she's going to be this status dealer who makes it easier for everyone else to do damage or whether she's going to be like an assassin. And everyone has this kind of duality between whether they're going to do something more defensive or something more active. Uh, So the little girl with the gauntlets, Gully, she can be a tank or she can be like a damage dealer. She can do like... Or she can be a damage dealer who puts up shields and stuff like that. So she can kind of alternate a little bit between being a bit more damage focused and being a bit more tank focused. I've been using her as a tank because her health is ridiculous and you can get all these perks that let her put shields on her so that as long as you manage to disrupt the enemy's flow in combat, which you can do with Nolan the Wizard, who has a um, ice spell uh, which brings them down in the priority order, you can, you can kind of give her a few actions in a row to give her shield and then give her to do a taunt action yeah, the whole thing works on this like initiative system as well. So the character speed determines how often they take a move and then that just kind of all collates into a list. So it's not like everybody gets a regular turn. Someone could have two turns before another character has a turn. Though it's unlikely, you know, your character's going to be that fast without some buggery. Uh, the open map's interesting because it's got like set pa- set paths. So it's like on rails, which... Uh, very smart budget move for the overworld uh, and it it's worth it because they put all the attention into dungeons and exploration areas so exploration areas are smaller areas are, are like more precise areas where you have a few combat encounters and some things to find but they're not necessarily like a full dungeon. They're a bit smaller and they maybe have like passive NPCs, like people you can just talk to. Like there's a bar that you can go to and you can uh pick up a few side quests there. Cause there's one guy who's just like, Oh, there's really brutal mercenaries locked up somewhere and you can go find them and kill them if, for me. That'd be great. Uh, and then the dungeons, which are proper, like it's, uh, similar to exploration areas, it kind of looks like a isometric type thing. You know, you can move around normally, but you know, it's all a bunch of rooms. And there's there's more Western RPG style puzzles, which was surprising. So there's like riddles and stuff. Because normally JRPGs, the puzzles are like block puzzles. They involve manipulating the room or the environment. And this game has some of that there was a part where you had these drawbridges where you got to activate them, deactivate them to create a path to the goal. But, um, there's also, like, riddles and stuff, and, like, things where it's like, ooh, you got to find somewhere else on this floor there's some gems to suck it into this golem, which will, uh, you know, give you a bit of extra treasure. And treasure is important, because if you have good gear, you've got you can boss through these dungeons. And... It's not super difficult at the moment. It's a bit. It, it is getting more. But I've managed to play every dungeon so far on Legendary difficulty. Which they only recommend for, like, veterans. So, as presumably, they would go... Don't play it this way. Unless you've played through the game before. Uh... But I've managed to I managed to get through it anyway, because I think it's more just, the, like, the normal difficulties are there for people who maybe don't think so much about the stats, or who don't pay attention to it. Because it's very possible with RPGs for someone to just go, Stats? What's a stats? Yeah. Alright, anyway, that's been incredibly fun. What was I was going to talk about. We'll do, a, we'll do a little bit more. I don't know whether I should talk about more things I'm playing or and reading. And I don't know. <sighs> Part 5 JoJo is still flipping amazing. Um, turns out all you needed to do. To, okay, so there's a, there's a concept in JoJo called stands. S T A N D S as in like you know the English word stands and um they are spiritual manifestations of the user's will so they're like a like a like a little guy with superpowers based on the personality of the person who uses it they're the ghosts the ghosts attached to a person with powers uh but they tend to have like pretty crazy powers so for example, let me try to think of one. Ah, there's one called Survivor. And Survivor's power is uh, it's a passive stand that the user doesn't really actively use. But what it does is it activates the fight part of a person's brain. So the fight or flight mechanism in someone's brain, it just switches it to fight and makes you super aggressive. Which uh, in, this, in the storyline, in the little part that it's part of, Results in like a prison riot and this big epic multi stand user fight, which is one of the high points of part six. Uh, so, yeah, but that's not being animated yet. They're at part five at the moment. And part five, there is a stand user called King Crimson. And King Crimson has a very abstract power that is very difficult to make sense of. And through a combination of translation errors in the fan translations of part five for the longest time, and just the the, the sheer abstractness of the, the power, it, and the fact that part five gets a bit weird with uh, how the conclusion works, but, you know, this doesn't come up in the conclusion anyway. But it's been universally agreed on that King Crimson is very difficult to make sense of, and it's been like a community joke of like, how the hell does King Crimson work? I don't understand. And just, there's a, there's a, like a video of just a guy screeching about it. Cause he's like, I don't get it. I don't bloody get it. Um, but the anime did it. They managed to make it make sense. It turns out all you needed was a little bit of motion to understand what was going on. They've they've barely changed the scene. And because I can remember the scene where it happened where you figure out where you're told what King Crimson's power is. And it's It's nonsense. It's an incredibly powerful power. And to the point where, unlike part three, where the part of it is, what the hell is Dio's stand power? What the hell is the main villain's stand power? This one's like, our main villain's stand power is insane. Because it's essentially a get out of jail free card, no matter what's happening. To the point where this is only the midpoint of the series they find that out. Or well, not the midpoint, like the three-quarters point. But you get the point. And they go just, we have to run. D- 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 there's no option. And it's amazing. It's great. Now, unfortunately, the the conclusion isn't as great for this part. Like, part five is one of the parts. It's, it's still good. I very much enjoy a lot of the fights in part five, the characters. But the conclusion is... A misstep. It's interesting, it's fun, there's a lot of cool bits. But, you know, when the the anime gets to it and you see it, or if you've read it already, you'll understand. They add something to the lore of the powers of the show that is very difficult to get past. And, in fact, it never comes up again. They don't even bring it up in Part 7, which, uh, Part 7 is this celebration of everything that is JoJo. Like, Part 7 is like, okay, this has gone on for so long and now I'm... I'm gonna re... I'm gonna reinvent the wheel, but I'm also gonna celebrate everything that was great about this franchise so far. And it's amazing. And... It's great because then you get to part eight and the main character... Part of the mystery of part eight of Jojo is that the main character has four testicles. Yeah. It is a core plot point and it is explained adequately. It's, it's given a perfect explanation. It makes sense. And yet, it's the most bizarre thing, because one of the first things that happens is the main character of Part 8 shuffles out of the ground, completely nude, and then you see the the, uh, the female, one of the female protagonists go, well, the female protagonist, it's basically just a dude and a girl, uh, go, four balls. And then she turns away out of shame. And just from there, it's like, you know what? I thought part seven was a great finish for Jojo. It was a great finishing off point, but never mind. Part eight pulled me right back in. Because I'm a big fan of things ending on a high note. And part seven would have been a high note to end on. But oh boy, I'm glad we have part 8. Because it's bizarre. And I've got to get caught up on that. I haven't read completely up to date. But it's good because now... There's never been a better time to get into anime and manga. And this is why. For one, American comic books have gotten a bit weird. Uh, some of the writing's a bit off. Business-wise, they are gone a bit strange. The starting books, and then after five issues, they're cancelling them. Uh, the, the writers are very politically involved in a way that takes away from their own writing. Like they've started writing like Ayn Rand, where the bad guys are uh, stand-ins for their opposition and the good guys are stand-ins for their position. And they, they straw man the hand out of the opposition. They go, like, oh, the, the opposition clearly evil. Anyone who doesn't agree with my point of view is clearly a Satan. Uh <laughs> Which, it, it, it makes them difficult to read, especially if you disagree with them politically. Like, they'll go, they'll make a point that's like, but this, and if I was able to argue with them, I'd be able to actually argue the point with them. But because it's this one-sided comic book, they go, ah! These people are just horrible and evil. I'm like, but what about this? All right, I can't talk to you. Why am I talking to a comic? So, American comic book's gotten a bit weird. There's still some good stuff, because there's a lot of creator-owned comics where there's not it's not this weird environment. A lot of people doing more independent comics. So it's not that the comic book industry is dead. It's just, you got to go, you got to be careful. Not everything that comes out of Marvel or DC anymore is just a surefire fun little adventure. Uh, and, you know, then you got to start looking at alternate publishers. Like Alterna. Alterna seems interesting. I wish I could read their comics. But I got I gotta figure it out. I should just buy them digitally. Anyway, American comics getting a bit weird, and the translation for uh manga has never been better because there are so many people involved in it and it's all crowdsourced on the internet. So you can read everything up to date as it comes out with fan translations, and then if you really love it, you can go buy the the Tankerman collections, the you know, the the volumes of manga that you're probably more familiar with. And they don't have a lot of American political nonsense because they're written by Japanese people for Japanese people. When it does get political, it's about Japanese stuff. And rarely do these stories get political. But the closest they get to politics is a lot of them comment on the education system in Japan, which from an outsider perspective, it's very easy to... Like, it's very simple for us to just agree with these guys because it's like... Yeah, it it is kind of rough on them. Because they do, they do put a lot of pressure on the young people. But again, they they just have a bit of... like They do have more of a focus on telling just good stories. And French comics is too, apparently. French comics are apparently better than manga because they're, they're slightly better writers. Some manga is a bit dumb. But the dumbness is part of the fun. So that's good. And then the, the anime community... Again, fan translations through the roof. Uh, There's all the services. You can get stuff on Netflix. I've been watching Barky on Netflix. and Barky is sick. It's about big muscle MMA men fighting each other. That's it. That's all you need to know. It's stupid and ridiculous. And every character looks like a deformed muscle monster. And I love it. And there's only been one moment that I hated. And it was the one moment they used a bit of CGI. And I thought, oh, no, is every fight going to be in CGI? And they have another epic fight between two guys just on the street. And they don't use CGI. And I'm like, oh, thank goodness. They avoided the thing I hate. Yeah. Anyway, my point is, American comics are becoming less and less for me with all the politic. The politicking, or the lazy politicking, I should say. There's there's always been a little bit of politics in comics writing, but it's getting in the way of the adventure stories now. And that's what annoys me. Is I want a I want an adventure story, and I'm getting some comics writer's political diatribe. And it's not a particularly informed diatribe either. It's not like they make an intelligent point. They just make a very emotionally based point. And that's fine if you believe what you believe because of emotions. But it it does make it a drudge to read. I, I I enjoy reading opposing points when they're well written. I've I like I like listening to bad reviews of things I enjoy. even though it does make me a little bit mad. Like someone, I think it was Digibro, Bro. who's an anime reviewer, a bit of a creep weirdo. As are many many people who devote themselves to anime are. But uh, he did, had a review of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure and basically said it's so silly and childish and I'm like, yeah, that's the point. But I, I appreciate the perspective of it. It's not very serious. But I I, I don't know. Jojo's very interesting in a lot of ways. Like, um... A lot of people have... I saw an article, I think it was on Crunchyroll about like, Jojo challenges traditional masculinity by the way they, how flamboyantly the characters dress and I guess I guess that's a perspective but a lot of the story in Jojo is about male characters with traditionally masculine traits and how that's good, like there's a lot of honour and like that righteous anger and stuff like that and uh, being able to stand up for yourself, and these, like, you know, they're very masculine characters, despite the way they dress. Like Jonaro from Part Three, he's he's meant to be like a Japanese Clint Eastwood, and he is. He's a guy with nerves of steel, and like he 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 ain't afraid of nothing. But he's he's very quiet and makes decisive decisions and he can be rude, but you know he's to the point and it's like very- tradi- like they all have very traditionally male characteristics, and even when someone has something that's not traditionally male it's it's kind of just a little quirk of their character. It's very interesting just that perspective Because um Japan is very traditional for for good and for bad. Like, women... Women are fully expected to give up their careers entirely when they get married. Which is... Um, and and then they also don't really show their emotions much. But it's very interesting, because I'm, I'm learning about it over at uni, because I'm doing Communicating with Asia for Engineers. Uh, so it's my Pretentious Humanities course in the middle of my maths and science thing. Uh... <laughs> But yeah, Japan is very traditional, and some of that tradition is good because it, you know, there's there's a good amount of discipline there. But at the same time, it's not super fantastic. Yeah, I, don't, I got off on a weird tangent there, but my point is that. Anime manga's is fun, and they're not caught up in politics or trying to beat you over the head with a message, or at least very few things are. And when it does have a message, it's at least interesting about it. Like Attack on Titan Attack on Titan's a good example of a show that clearly has a point. But or not clearly. It's it's the point is there is the point it's not like it's just hidden under layers of just storytelling but it it's, it it doesn't it in a way that's so unintrusive most people wouldn't know it's there uh cuz attack on titans all about nazi ideology uh the whole setup with titans is this dream scenario for nazi ideology right you have a existential threat that everybody can unite behind hating and fighting, right? And they are a very clear existential threat. But then, okay, now that get humanity united, are they necessarily united? Uh, and it goes... A large part of Attack on Titan is the human drama inside the walls of the ruling class guys starving out the guys in the lower areas and all this stuff. And then you learn... But the Titans might not be this malevolent... Like, the, the fact that... Uh, um, okay, small spoilers for Attack on Titan. It's treated as a big twist, but it's part of the core premise. One of the characters can turn into a Titan. So, immediately the water's muddied. Is this existential threat really? An existential threat? And suddenly you're getting all these holes... poked in this ideology. Because you've given it a dream scenario. It's like... uh, But it's showing, like, hey, even in this dream scenario, the people ruling can be not great and do all these terrible things, and, hey, what if... What if there's a reasonable doubt that the existential threat isn't this unreasonable existential threat, right? And that's also why people think um, Starship Troopers is about Nazism, because they also have that Uh, part of Nazi ideology about the unstoppable existential threat. But the core difference between this and Attack on Titan is Attack on Titan shows that there's a reasonable doubt that um, there's a reasonable doubt that they uh, shouldn't just completely destroy these Titans. Whereas uh, in Starship Troopers It's very clear that the lives of individual bugs are unimportant to the hive mind. So they exist in a form that is entirely different from humanity, right? Humanity, we are very individualistic. We are individual people and every individual person is important and their life has value. Not so in bug society with arachnids because you see these worker things... And even if they eliminate a million of them, it doesn't put a dent. Because they're, they're ants, essentially. They're a big hive mind. The individual doesn't matter. The collective only matters. Only the brain bug matters. Which is why the, con- the conclusion there is them getting the brain bug and realizing it can feel fear. Because then maybe there's, a, there's an end to this war. And not just an unstoppable wave of disposable bugs. So, yeah, I, again, I, I disagree with the theory that Starship Troopers is fascistic, despite what the director of the movie may say. Because, like, the, the movie's meant to be, like, a satirical take on the book, but it ends up being just, uh... Yeah, it's interesting. Eventually, I'll be doing Let's Get Contextual with Dante on uh, Starship Troopers, and I can explain this more, but... I don't know. This is very rambly. This is a very rambly thing, but I, I think, uh... I'm getting more used to just sitting here and talking to a microphone. So anyway, um, at Luco Comedy on Facebook and Instagram, uh, you can find the podcast wherever you find good podcasts. It's everywhere. Wait, let's see. We've got nine platforms now. We've got Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Stitcher. So if you're listening to this on something that you don't like, move on over. There's options. Uh, Please, if you do use Apple Podcasts, give us a good review on iTunes. Same with Google Podcasts. Because that ups the analytics. Uh, You can send in your emails to rotletters at gmail.com. No space in that. So rotletters at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can send in voicemail through the Anchor app. Or... You can send me like a link to a private SoundCloud file through email. Either way is good. So yeah, that's it. Good.